Welcome to The Green Room, a regular podcast where we take a look at news and culture through a two-lane lens. I'm Ryan Rivette, and I'll be your host today as we dive into contentious waters and take a look at some of the facts that surround the debate about how we remember the Civil War in the South. Since the massacre at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in downtown Charleston, South Carolina last month, the arguments about whether the Confederate flag and monuments to leaders of the Confederacy have any place in the contemporary South have become remarkably heated. Like most arguments that are played out on cable news and in social media, there's a lot of misinformation about the history of the Civil War and what led to Southern secession. Here in New Orleans, the mayor's championed the cause of removing long-standing monuments to Robert E. Lee, General PGT Beauregard, and renaming the street name for Jefferson Davis. This was met with cries of heritage, not hate, from detractors of his plans, who say we shouldn't give in to political correctness and forget our history. After hearing enough of these slogans, I thought I would head to the history department for a professional opinion on the topic. So that's what I did. I went to Bear Hall with the intent of looking at the past to shed light on the debate happening in the present. My first stop was to talk with Randy Sparks, a professor who primarily teaches Southern history. I started out asking him to parse the root cause of the Civil War and tackle the argument of whether it was simply a state's rights issue. I don't think there's much dispute among professional historians that the root cause of the Civil War was slavery. There was not very much dispute before the Civil War, I don't think, about the cause of the war. I mean, I think everybody at the time knew the war was caused over uh, slavery and the expansion of slavery into the territories and the, the fear that Southerners had based on Lincoln's election, elected without a single Southern vote, that, you know, the South's uh, way of life was uh, threatened by that election. The idea that it was caused by anything other than slavery is a post-bellum construction. The Southern interpretation of that war has been allowed to, to stand for too long, and there's still, you know, textbook committees in places like Texas that are trying to rewrite that history and to, and to maintain that sort of skewed interpretation. But, you know, taking up arms against the government of the United States is treason. It is the very definition of treason. A common rallying cry that was heard after politicians in South Carolina began debating whether or not to remove the Confederate flag that flew over the Statehouse was heritage, not hate, arguing the idea of removing the flag was nothing more than knee-jerk reactionism to a horrific crime. Sparks says that while some people who display the flag may be showing Southern pride, they're doing so without all the facts. If you want to talk about heritage, not hate, then, then you need to talk about the Confederate flag. That Confederate battle flag was never the official Confederate flag. So we should just take that off the table immediately. You know, and, and that flag became a very potent symbol of racism and Southern resistance. First in the 40s was Strom Thurmond's Dixiecrat uh, movement, and then of course was adopted by the Klan. We may, we may bemoan the fact that, that it's become a symbol of racism, but it has. And especially given the fact that it is not an official Confederate flag, then I don't know what the debate's about. The, the, the tragedy is that, that that has become the symbol of the South, as if those four years defined Southern history. So Sparks agrees with the decision to remove the battle flag from the State House in Columbia and says that it has no place in the official state capacity, but he doesn't believe that Southerners need to pretend that the Civil War never happened. I'm a Southerner. Um, my roots here are very deep. My ancestors, I have ancestors who were slave owners who fought for the Confederacy. I, I do not take any pride in that, um, nor am I ashamed of it because they were people of their time and their place. They made what I consider to be tragic decisions that plunged this nation into a tragic bloodletting. 
that we need to remember, but we need to remember it for what it is. And, and I don't know why patriotic Americans need to celebrate that kind of cause. And with that in mind, Sparks says he agrees that Confederate monuments across the South need to be looked at in their proper context. And that once people do so, they might be more inclined to support their removal. They, they exist in practically every little town across the South, right? Almost every town had a Confederate memorial. They were, they were built beginning in the 1880s and 90s, so a generation essentially after the war was over. Most of them were built uh, by Confederate women's organizations. In many ways, they are as much monuments to Reconstruction as they are to the Civil War. And they are monuments to the reestablishment of white supremacy in the South. Um, that's what they commemorate as much as they do the war. Um, and it's for that reason, I think, that they're, that they're such problematic um, emblems. He says that, in the case of New Orleans, the statues are a particular affront, considering the demographics of the city. As a historian, I, I couldn't agree more that what we need to do is is not forget that history. The problem is, I think, as it, as it stands now, most of those monuments are without any historical context. The Robert E. Lee Memorial towers over, over the city. There's no, there's no context around that, and I don't know how you can put a context around it, quite frankly. They are public monuments maintained by the city, and they do not represent this city. They don't even represent a majority of the city. Um, and so I'm not sure that they can be left in place and contextualized in any meaningful way. And it's for that reason that I think it's time to move them. And that doesn't mean destroy them. It doesn't mean bury them. I'd love to see them displayed and, and interpreted. Sparks suggests that instead of a monument that divides the city, we should instead replace with one that unites it. So my, my proposal for the Lee Monument would be to, to turn that monument into a memorial to the victims of Katrina and to the rebuilding of this city. That anniversary is approaching this year. Um, so I would take down Lee's statue and I'd put a big glowing fleur de lis up on top of that column and I would rededicate that monument to the victims of the storm and to the rebuilding of the city of New Orleans. That's a symbol that everybody in this city can get behind. That's one idea that memorializes recent history. But another faculty member has a suggestion that looks even farther back than the Civil War. This is Emily Clark. I'm the Clement Chambers Benenson Professor in Colonial History at Tulane University. As the recent controversy broke out about Confederate memorials in New Orleans, of course as a historian I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Um, not only because of the history, but because of the whole issue of memorialization. How do we memorialize, how do we remember our past in a way that is celebratory? Um, and now in the 21st century celebratory for all of the citizens of New Orleans. And one of the things that came to mind was this man, Noel Carrier. He turned up in the records multiple times in multiple different situations. First of all, he has an interesting name, Noel. It wasn't a common name. It's Christmas. Um, and um, Carrier was a very, very, is a very old New Orleans family. So I thought, well, you know, he keeps turning up. And in contexts like as an officer of the Free Black Militia, as a godfather over and over and over again at St. Louis Cathedral for um, people of African descent, free and enslaved, 
as a witness, and this was the really fascinating thing, as a witness at weddings of members of the Free Black Militia. And so over time, I had the impression that this guy who was the commander of the Free Black Militia was telling his men, you need to marry the woman that you're living with because marriage was um, a point of honor um, in Spanish colonial New Orleans. And the impression that I have is that he um, felt very strongly that people of African descent had as much right to the honors and privileges as people of European descent as long as they um, exercised those privileges and, and within that, that context. And Noel Carrier sure did. And then the other thing about Noel Carrier is that he fought in the American Revolution and was decorated for it. Most people don't think about New Orleans as having played a part in the American Revolution, but Spain was an ally of the 13 colonies. There were, the Gulf Coast was terribly important because of the trade with the Caribbean. A lot of the, a lot of the commerce, a lot of the economy of the 13 colonies depended on trade with the Caribbean. And so really, although we often think of um, the Creoles and the Americans as being oppositional, they really weren't, especially economically. So we fought with them in the American Revolution, and part of that fighting force was made up of the Free Black Militia, and Noel Carrier was there and was decorated twice for valor. So here's this extraordinary person that nobody's ever heard of, a native New Orleanian who found his way to freedom, fought in the American Revolution, um, stood for a lot of the things that I think New Orleanians are proud of, um, and nobody's ever heard of him. He's a good candidate for a memorial. If we're looking for an individual um, to raise up as an example, someone that we haven't thought of before, but also somebody who's really representative of the things that we care about, Noel Carrier is a, is a good person. So there it is, a look back at the history that offers a little bit of context to the current debate about the Confederacy and the Civil War, and a couple of suggestions of what might be suitable replacements for the monuments, some of which are more than a century old. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time in the Green Room. <laughs>